Well, it's really good to be back. Um, good to worship with you. Just so good to be together, you know. It's something about being here and worshiping here. I don't know if it's kind of like kids growing up on a certain diet, you get used to certain food. And when you worship a certain way, you kind of get used to that. And it's just uh, so good to be back. Um, and we are having a little party, yes. Um, I'm still in my 50s, I want you to know. I have a week and a half. Um, still there. Uh, the colors are significant. Uh, blue is Donna's favorite color. Red's my favorite color. And silver, I guess, is if you turn 60. So, anyway. But, yeah, really good, really good to be here. We had a great time in the Northwest on the Amtrak, going to Portland and Seattle and Vancouver, and saw some beautiful country. Amazing, but... You know, that doesn't, I got to tell you, that doesn't always, it doesn't f- completely fulfill me. I always know there's something more after I'm on these trips. So here's my question for you. Do you know why you're here? What your purpose in life is? If you do, you're way ahead of about 250 really smart people who are asked that question. A philosophy professor, his name is Dr. Hugh Moorhead, asked them, what is the meaning of life? And these 250 really smart people wrote back and said, well... Um, I'm not sure what it is, or they made up what they thought it was, or they wrote back and they said, listen, if you ever figure out what it is, would you tell us? They didn't know. So the question again is, do you know why you're here on earth? What's your purpose in life? What's your mission? Um, now some people, and if you, if you think you know, um, do you really know? Because some people think they know. But their answer is so dreary and depressing. It's like, if you got to be kidding me, that is the purpose of life. So here's what some really smart people said. Also, some more um, philosophy types and scientists. This is French philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre. I don't know how you say that. Okay. He said, the world is all there is, and our existence is all we have. You are your life, and that's all you are. There is no higher purpose or goal or meaning to life. Wow. Nobel Prize winning physicist Steven Weinberg said, According to current predictions, the universe is headed for a fiery death and will take us all with it. Nothing we do will outlast our temporary span on this globe. Life is meaningless, purposeless, and pointless. Well, let's try British philosopher Lord Balford. Mankind's very existence is an accident. His story, a brief and transitory episode in the life of one of the meanest of all planets. And British philosopher Bertrand Russell said, Man is a product of causes which had no provisions of the end they were achieving. His origin, his growth, his hopes and fears, his loves and his beliefs are but for the outcome of an accidental collision of atoms. Now, that's just depressing to me. I don't know about you. It's like, how do you, how do you do life if you absolutely have no idea your purpose in life, why you're here, if it doesn't matter one iota, our lives? You know, I asked a guy, I went down to uh, uh, Courthouse Square and looking for people to interview about their purpose in life. I talked to two men, and one had no idea. I don't know what it is. I don't really care. I, you know, it's like, wow. You know, I remember when I was in college, I was a believer, but I was really having some doubts about my faith. And as I was struggling with, you know, is there a God or whatever, I can tell you one thing that happened. Darkness came over me. And I got so depressed. 
and more depressed than I'd ever been in my life. And I actually, for the first time in my life, I understood why people would commit suicide. I mean, you, you look at the answers that these really smart people gave, these philosophers and scientists, and you think, well, that explains addiction. That explains um, despair. That does explain suicide. If you think there's nothing, it makes no difference for why we're here. Um, what's the point of going on and living? I'm here to tell you. Now, the good thing is that, that when you see the bad news <laughs> and you think there's a lot of people out there who believe this, then it makes the good news that much brighter to know there really is a purpose and it's already been written out. It's been revealed. It's written down. It's made known to the world. Um, and you don't have to go to Europe and find the answer to this. You don't have to go buy yourself an old 60s Volkswagen van and drive around the country and peel away the layers to find out who you are. You don't have to do this. I'm telling you, I mean, this, as I said before, this kind of pursuit, this kind of knowledge was the kind of thing that made me just struggle so much when I was in high school. And I did not realize if, if I'd only known this is what it's all about. It's just, it's laid out. On our vacation, uh, Donna and I, she planned this very unusual vacation. So we did the trains. So we got on a train in Sacramento at 1.30 in the morning. And we were on a sleeper train. And so we rode up to uh, Portland, spent a couple of nights. So we rode up to Seattle, spent a couple of nights. Then we rode up to Vancouver, and we were there for a week. The thing that, you know, the kind of, the, it's kind of a... a metaphor for for purpose is a, is a train because somebody is, has cleared the ground from here to portland to seattle vancouver they've cleared the ground they've laid the tracks and they pointed the train in one direction they say you get on this and it'll take you to where you need to go and living god's purposes is like that it's already been laid out the tracks have been laid down god has said this is all you have you and i have to decide is are we going to get on this train that's the only thing. Are we going to get on the train? That was our responsibility. We had to go to the um, train depot, train station, and then we had to wait. And at 1.30, we had to get on. And that was the only decision we had to make. If we did that, we'd end up in Portland. And if you get on this train about purpose, God's going to take you somewhere, and it's going to be really good. You're really going to like the destination. And it's going to solve a lot of problems in all of our lives when we live a purpose-driven life, a life on purpose. So here's, here's where it all starts, okay? Purpose all starts with God. God lives on purpose. Scripture says that God has a good purpose. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. He's actually got a purpose, and he's actually by his spirit working inside of people who let him come in to act according to that purpose. And then also, that God's purposes are eternal. Ephesians 3, verse 11 says, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, it's always been, it is, it always will be. He's always been that way. And then his purpose is unchanging because he's unchanging. It says in Jeremiah 4, Verse 28, therefore the earth will mourn and the heavens above grow dark because I have spoken and I will not relent. I have decided and will not turn back. And then his purpose is, it's, you know it's going to get done because Isaiah says in Isaiah 14, verse 24, the Lord Almighty has sworn, surely as I have planned, so it will be. 
And as I have purposed, so it will happen. I love that about God. He is just, he's sovereign. He's moving. He's going to do stuff. Even if we don't feel anything, if we don't see anything, God is on the move. So God is not sitting in heaven wondering what he's going to do today or just interested in what's going on in our lives or changing his plans or questioning whether or not he can pull off his plans. No, God is the most intentional, focused, good, determined, unrelenting, purposeful being in the universe. And what are some of his plans? When he purposes to do something, what is it that he's purposing to do? Well, here's one. Again, this is Ephesians. No, actually, this is 2 Timothy. Sorry, but 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. God intends to save us and to make us holy. This is 2 Timothy verse, chapter 1, verse 9. It says, For he saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. He wants to make us, he wants to save us, and he wants to make us like Christ. That's his eternal purpose. The tracks have been laid. If you decide to go with God's purposes, that's what he's going to do in your life. He's going to save you, and he's going to change you. He's going to make you better. He's going to transform you. He's going to renew you. He's going to put you back together. He's going to make you a person that you could hardly ever believe that you could become that person. He will make that. He will do that in your life if you give him the opportunity. God is working night and day to rescue people from the devastating effects of sin. And then he's remaking us into people he intended for us all along. Complete, whole, healed, restored, mature, just like Christ. You know, that, that divine purpose explains some things that go on in, in if, you, if you listen. So we're up in, we're coming back from Vancouver. And we've been a week in Vancouver. We caught the train and we had to, you know, we had to, Walk a mile from our Airbnb, get on the Sky Train in Vancouver. No, we didn't. We didn't do that because they weren't running it Saturday. So we had to get a taxi. So at five in the morning, we get a taxi. We take it to the train station. We get on the train. We go down to Vancouver, Seattle. We get to Seattle. We have a long layover, so we're going to hang out at Pike Place Market. So it's 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 Seattle's version of Fisherman's Wharf in San Francisco. So we've never been there. So there we are. We're hanging out. I'm thinking the Northwest, you know, kind of a place you don't hear a whole lot about God, right? The West Coast is known for that. We're known for not having a lot of people in churches and that kind of thing. So here we are, Pike Place Market, and uh, we decided to sit in the shade. It was kind of warm. And I was thinking, why is nobody sitting in the shade on that particular part of the bench? Because there's people everywhere. So I go sit down, and all of a sudden some, some homeless guys come around. I'm going, oh, maybe this is their bench. I, I, the first Sunday we went to church... I got, I sat in somebody's pew and this older woman started moving me with her purse, you know, like, so I'm moving over. It it worked out okay because she and her husband took us to lunch afterwards, but she was giving me the sign, you know, you're in my spot, my name's under that pew. I don't know if you knew that. So, and so apparently I sat in her place and then I sat in the homeless guy's place too. So we're sitting there and all of a sudden these homeless guys come and they're sitting around us and. We ended up in a conversation with a guy from Seattle who grew up in Hawaii. We're talking about big wave surfing because I'm such an experienced guy in that. We're talking about big wave surfing. And then they start talking to the homeless guys. And this one guy just starts going off. And he's just rattling on. He's, he's in a wheelchair. 
And all of a sudden, out of the blue, here we are in Seattle, Pike Place, Mark, and Jesus lives in my heart. God is up there, and Jesus is in my heart. I'm going, wow, where'd that come from? And so I was like, all right, nice. And so we said, well, it's time to go. And we were walking back toward this train station. We can hear, we get to this corner, there's all these people. And here's a guy with a microphone. It's kind of a turn or burn, repent message. Blaring it out. He's got two huge signs. All these people trying to avoid this guy. But there he is again. He's reading from scripture in the Pacific Northwest. Here's God and Jesus getting attention along with the homeless guy. Jesus lives in my heart. Then we go to this um, plaza, and it's kind of cool. There's no traffic there. There's no road. It's all brick. And they have ping-pong tables set up and big games that people can play. And, and people are just hanging out. And as we're sitting there, behind us are two guys talking about Christianity and politics. I'm like going, wow, the Pacific Northwest. All this talk about Jesus right here. And I, I didn't start the conversation. I'm just listening. You ever wonder why? How does that happen? You know, do people talk about Napoleon Bonaparte? They talk about Julius Caesar? Do they talk about Buddha? Do they talk about Muhammad? I didn't hear any of those conversations. All I heard was about Jesus, and he, he, he was never a politician. He never commanded an army. He never wrote a book. He never married. He never had kids. And here he is 2,000 years later, and people still talking about him. Isn't that wild? You wonder, how does that happen? I think it's part of God's purpose. Because he's intent. He wants to save people. He wants to remake them. And he is doing it even in the, in the Pacific Northwest. That name, he just keeps coming up. So second thing God wants to do besides save us and make us like him, like Jesus, is that he's all about putting the world back together. Because sin blew the world up. He's going to put it back together. This is Ephesians again. Chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. It says... He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and earth under Christ. He's going to do it too. We see how people want harmony today. Have you seen that bumper sticker coexist? You know, all the different symbols of the different religions. But Let's just all try to get along together. I mean, people want that. But the only way it's going to happen is under Christ. Christ is the one who's going to bring everything together. And another purpose of his is God intends to bring reconciliation. Same book, Ephesians 2, verses 15 and 16. And it says his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. So the point of God's plan with the cross was to destroy hostilities between people groups. He wanted to change what was inside of us and repair the problems between us to bring us together. And he's doing it. You know, in Israel, some of us have been to Israel. We've been to Mount Mount Carmel Assembly Church. And in that church, they have a a, a recovery program. And they do this thing where they, they have people who are Jews who are addicted They have Arabs who also are addicts. They bring them together and they have to sleep together in a dorm. They have to learn about Yeshua and Jesus. And then they worship together on Sundays. And so God is actually in the land of Israel bringing Jew and Arab back together through the cross of Christ. And he wants to do that with every other people group where there's fractions, you know, where people are torn apart. It's the cross that brings us back together. 
Now, that's, that, isn't that a crazy, wow, what a great purpose, huh? Right? He wants, to, uh, he wants to save people and make them holy. How do you get seven billion people's attention? But he does. He wants to put the world back together. How does the Christ pull that one off? He, he wants to reconcile everything. You know, you think about how we've tried that with our civil rights legislation and protest marches. How, how well has that worked? Not the best. But God is going to do it. And he's going to get it done because he's unrelenting. When God intends to do something, he does it. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. I love this from Isaiah 46, verse 10. I say, God speaking, I say, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. And another verse, this is Psalm 33, 11, says, But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart through all generations. God is going to get it done. And no amount of resistance or effort or waiting will wear him out. It's not a matter of if, but it's a matter of when. Now, you and I remain in God's image. What does that mean? So we're made to be like him. We resemble him, male and female. There's something about men that reflects the image of God. There's something about women that reflects the image of God. Together, we present a greater picture of who he is. And God, because of that, there there are things that just come out of us that are really reflections of God's image in us. Like we want community. We want to be connected. Where does that come from? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who live in this perfect unity. He wants us, we're to be creative. Why? Because God's creative. In Portland, I don't know if you knew this about Portland. I didn't really know this, but they're all into, they don't like big box stores and franchises. In Portland, they love local artisans who create things, whether it's lamps or clothes or whatever. So there's all these stores in Portland where local individuals are making stuff and Portlandiers are buying it. Okay? Well, that creative impulse really comes from God. Also, uh, we have this reasoning capacity just like God. And this, we have this worth and this dignity and this desire and this will to, to love, to exercise strength, to appreciate beauty. I mean, don't you, I, we put, we went to Butchart Gardens. Anybody know what Butchart Gardens is all about? Okay, Butchart Gardens, six hours both ways to get there from Vancouver. It was 12 hours of traveling in one day. But the flower, I mean, it's, when I went there as a kid, I didn't appreciate it. I don't know why. Where they are at Butchart Gardens, I'm probably seven or eight years old. My older brother, Kurt, said, but he, we were all just bored to tears. And he said to mom, mom, if you've seen one flower, you've seen them all. Okay, this is, this is leave. Okay, one yellow, red, it doesn't matter. They're all the same. Let's go. Okay. Well, it, it was very impressive going back and seeing this place that was put together largely by this woman, Jenny Butchart. And it's, it was, uh, and why is it that grabs our hearts? All these people traveling all this way. We had one couple we met on the bus. They were on a cruise, and they, they cut their cruise short because the, this woman, they just got married. So the wife, she says, I want to see Butchart Gardens. I'm not, I don't want to stay on this boat. So she cut off her cruise so that she could go see these flowers. There is something about beauty that just draws us. We went to Whistler, the ski resort, which hosted the 2010 Winter Olympics, the skiing events. And it's like, it's, it's like breathtaking. It's just something in us that's, that's drawn to that kind of thing. So that's reflecting again 
God's, God's image in us while also living on purpose reflects that. You know, all other creatures live by their instincts. But you and I alone have the choice of whether or not we're going to choose God's purposes for our lives. And when we do, there are all these great benefits from it. So here they are. These are in your notes if you want to write these down. What are the benefits of living a life on purpose? Well, number one, it adds meaning to your life. There's that scripture that says, But I said I've labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing at all. That's what it feels like when you don't live on purpose. When you do, you have meaning. God tells him, in, uh, in, he says, the reason that you're here, Isaiah, the reason Israel is here to be a light, is to be a light to the nations. You're here for that purpose. Number two, when you live on purpose, it simplifies your life. The why of your life has already been determined. So your life does not have to be complicated as long as you accept your God-given purpose. Just say, you know what? He's already said what my life is to be about. I'll just go with that. And I will not get that Volkswagen van and travel around the country to find myself. Number three, it focuses your life. God's purposes help eliminate distractions so that you can focus on the things that matter most. Many of you know we had the triathlon yesterday. Uh, 70 point something miles, you know, swimming, biking, running. And so I went, when I was down at Courthouse Square on Friday looking for people to interview, they were setting up for the big triathlon. It was going to end there. And all these tents up and all these kind of equipment and clothes you can buy for triathlons, which I'm sure you're all very interested in. And I'm walking around, all these super fit people, skinny people walking around Courthouse Square. And I, I got to tell you, I'm a little drawn to that kind of thing. Because I like running, and I, I do like swimming, and I like biking. I thought, maybe, maybe I should do one of those someday. You know, I'm thinking about it, and I'm, I'm looking at the equipment and the clothes. and going, man, you've got to put some money into this. And, and, and then I'm, I'm thinking, how much time do you have to put in to train for something like this? Like three hours a day or something? You know, it's like, oh. And, and, I, and, then, and then I'm thinking, and then I thought, you know, am I here on earth to compete in triathlons? Mm, no. Didn't take me long. No, I'm really not here to... I might someday, but that's not my main purpose. God didn't put me here to do that. So I can just... I can just let that go, okay? It's like, that's a distraction. You have other distractions. Should I be doing this? And if you think of your purpose, you can go, well, no, I'm not really here for that. That's not my main thing. And, and, and if you're kind of a Renaissance type of person, you know, Thomas Jefferson was, he could do all kinds of things. He could write music, ride horseback... He was a politician, he was an author, a philosopher. He was this brilliant man who could do all these different things. But if you're that kind of a person, he's like, is that what you're here for? Just to do all these different things? God has put us here to focus on what he wants us to do. And it really makes life a lot better when you're not distracted by all those things. So it focuses your life. Number four, it motivates your life. It's motivating to have a purpose. It's so, I don't know about you, it's good for me to know, you know what, I'm made for worship. And worship isn't just about singing. But I do know that I need to be with you on Sunday. I need to be here to worship. When we aren't here, we worship. You know, we go, you do all the, and I've said this before, when I, I'm doing all this touring thing, and it's really nice, and it's fun, but it just lacks something. And, and it was so good, Donna and I finally went to a church. 
And we walked on the property, and she started feeling different. We went to this Alliance Church. It was near the, our Airbnb. And she, we just started feeling different. Just being there, we sang this song, Living Hope, and it was like, ah, ah, I'm not feeling this out there on the streets of Vancouver, but it's so good to be here today. You know, we had people, like I said, the woman who pushed me away from her seat. She and her husband, hey, we'll take you out to lunch. They take us out to lunch. Hey, let's go up on this site. You can overlook the city. So we go up on this site. Hey, come over to our house and we'll show you our million-dollar view in our $2 million house. All right. This is all right. All that because of going to church. It's great. You have family. You get, you get refreshed. You get renewed. There's something that's so beautiful about living that way. It really does motivate your life. Uh, this story comes out of uh, the Revolutionary War. It's the end of 1776. And George Washington, his troops were tired, exhausted. They looked like they were going to get beat. And he, they only signed up for so much time. And, and, and so he's trying to get them to enlist again. And here's where it picks up. It says, those willing to stay were asked to step forward. Drums rolled. But no one moved. Minutes passed. Then Washington wheeled his horse about and spoke again. My brave fellows, you've done all I ask you to do and more than could be reasonably expected. But your country is at stake. Your wives, your houses, and all that you hold dear. You've worn yourselves out with fatigues and hardships. But we know not how to spare you. If you will consent to stay one month longer, you will render that service to the cause of liberty and to your country, which you can probably never do under any other circumstance. Again, the drum sounded. And this time, the men began stepping forward. God Almighty, wrote Nathaniel Green, inclined in their hearts to listen to the proposal, and they engaged anew because they had a purpose. They had something bigger than themselves. And they took it up. And think about it, folks. We're the beneficiaries of what those men did. I don't think they had any idea the country that they were going to create by their sacrifice. But here we are today. Millions of people want to come to America. Are we perfect? Of course not. There's lots of problems with America. But of all the choices out there, I'd put it at number one personally. You can have a different opinion. But there's a lot of people who want to come here because these guys sacrificed. And they sacrificed because they had a purpose, something bigger than themselves. So, it motivates you. Number five, a purpose-driven life prepares you for eternity. So then each of us will give an account for ourselves to God. When we stand before God someday, he's going to say, what did you do with my son Jesus? And what did, I do? what did you do with what I gave you? We've got to answer those questions. As we explore God's purposes for our lives in the weeks ahead, my question is, are you going to accept those? Many of you have. There's parts of it um, that you have. And, and I want to challenge you in a fresh way to think about it again. Will you trust Christ to lead you in a purposeful, meaningful life instead of managing life on your own? You think about it. That option, which most people are taking today, managing life on their own, and I know what that's like. It's hard to say that let anybody else manage your life because you think, well, they're going to mess it up. But if we manage life on our own, we're going to mess it up. There's no, you can't win when you try to just manage your own life. And 
to, to surrender to Christ in all these things is what brings peace to our lives. And so I want to challenge you to really think about this. While we're going through this each week, I'm going to give you a challenge. If we talk about, we talk about worship or outreach, there's going to be one thing to say, hey, try to do this this week and see how it goes, you know? You know, some of my, you know, one of my things I, I love, I love to be in worshiping with you. I really do. Um, we were in two other churches, and it's not the same as being here at home. And, and, there's, and then there's um, other things that happen inside of me. It's like, I got to talk to people. I, I just really want to talk to people about Jesus. I want to somehow engage people. And, and we had an opportunity with one of our Uber drivers. He's from Algeria. And uh, it was like, I think I felt the God prompting me to, to move with this guy. And so I was able to have this good little conversation, opportunity to pray with him. Um, just pray for his life in general. But it was like, you know, I did that and my heart's like, ah. Oh. You know, that was better. That was better than fish and chips. <laughs> we ate a lot of good food, but that was more nourishing. That was more nourishing. And so I, I, I just lay that out to you. Will you believe him? Will you trust him? Will you switch over to accept what he has for you and accept his leadership? So let's go ahead and pray. Uh, bow our heads. Father, thank you for not leaving us in the dark, but shining a light on our way. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us here at the front end to just say, I accept your mission. I will live by your purposes. God, help us to know that it's, it is meaningful and it simplifies our life and it focuses our life and it, Lord, it helps us to prepare us for eternity. And it's so meaningful to live that way. Lord, whatever hesitance or, or, or resistance that we have, I pray that you just knock those down. Help us to accept and embrace all that you have and that we would shine a light because we live according to the mission that you've given us. So help us, Father, with this. Um, help us to believe. Help us to trust your goodness, that you know what you're doing. You know us better than we know ourselves, better than our parents know us or our siblings or our spouse. You know our hearts. You know what makes us tick. You know what will make life work. So help us to trust you. Thank you, Lord. And for this food that we're about to receive and the time around the tables, make it rich, Lord. I thank you today that, that we're not alone. We're not isolated. We're not at home, cut off from everybody, but we're here. So help us to enjoy each other and, uh, and, uh, and to receive what you have in our fellowship time together. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, Diane, is Diane in the house? Diane. She's coming. She has something that she needs to do. So, come on up. There you go. All right. It's 12.02, so I'll say good afternoon. <laughs> well, for those of you who don't know, we are gathered here today for the celebration of the 60th birthday of both Pastor Rick and Donna. 